Welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and my next guest is the president of the Community Development Division of Enterprise Community Development. Please welcome Brian McLaughlin. Welcome to the podcast. Great, great. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for giving me a mic. <laughs> yeah, um, I've I've seen a few, few interviews, um, and I've been doing, I, I feel like, I'm in one of those movies from the seventies where you have like the strings and the different bullet points. I was like, who's this Brian guy? Let me just pin <laughs> everything together. And, um, but since I've been doing that, I want to invite you to, um, give the listeners the vital stats. What's your background and describe, um, how you got started, maybe that first job and the, the, the field that you're currently in. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for a chance. So look, I mean, at it's most basic level, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I'm a husband going on 18 years. I'm a, I'm a dad. Going on 16 years, uh, I I won't I won't claim Baltimore the way a lot of folks do who talk about their schools. I I was born at Hopkins. That's my, my that's my claim to fame. But I, I didn't really grow up in Baltimore. I ended up uh, growing up more in Columbia, Maryland, and then later we moved west. Uh, I finished my rearing in Arizona. But uh, you know I, I got out of Arizona as soon as I could, and so I left high school, came back east coast. So I, I was at Duke for undergrad. I did. Um, my master's degree in city planning at, at, at MIT, and then I did a master's in economics at, at American University. Been on the East Coast now ever since, you know, 20, 25 years. Focused really in this in this one space of, of housing, questions of housing, questions of housing finance. And that's, uh, I'm lucky. I've had one career. That's my career, housing and housing finance. We can only all be so so lucky. It's like, oh yeah, you know, never lost. I know exactly where I was going with this. I, I dig it. I dig it. I love to hear it. Um. So, so, so think back early into your career, was there any piece of advice or um, experience that made, that you look back on had a profound impact on why you work in the affordable housing market? Yeah, there were a couple moments in life where I, I think I got the bug. You know, I can't say it, it was like the big bright light went off and I knew forever thereafter my life was was one direction, one direction only. But I did spend part of my summer in high school um, building uh, helping to build really, you know, homes on an Indian reservation in California. It was this project. We went out there for a week um, and we, you know, worked all day and then we swam in the river that they all swam in. And it was just, you know, kind of lived with them, but helped really build housing in a situation where folks really were without. And to see what you can do with your hands, to see how you can transform lives through your hands and through this physical structure of a house that ultimately gets gets stitched together into a neighborhood, to see what that can do to people um, was to me a really moving moment in, in an early point in my life. And I think I realized that if, if part of my trajectory in life was about making change, you could really do that through housing and through communities. And, and I, I caught the bug and I, I stayed with it. So let let's talk about like where you're at because there are some uh, some some interesting uh, details about it. I, I believe I read um, a, a piece about a it's 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 very BIPOC focused, um, black led things of that nature. So could you give us some details about like where you're at? Um, yeah, yeah, happy happy to. So you know a little bit after Thanksgiving, we launched what what was really our effort to say we can really do a lot in this industry to bring a different kind of product and a different kind of partner to the table. 
if we opened our doors at enterprise to, to the very simple idea of joint ventures, the very simple idea that, yeah, we know what we're doing. We've been at it 30 plus years, but there's a whole team of folks out there who maybe haven't had the luxury and the benefit of doing this for 30 years. So what if instead of us really focusing squarely on doing more projects by ourselves, we said, let's partner, let's joint venture, let's find those who maybe bring something to the table that we don't have. Maybe they bring uh, an awareness of something in that community that we don't know. Maybe they bring an ownership. Maybe they bring a partnership. Maybe they bring um, a different experience to the table that, tra that, that, that translates into a different kind of project than what we would have come up with on our own. And then what if we also made sure that that was an effort to be more inclusive in this industry and bring people of color, bring nonprofits, and bring faith-based organizations to the table? Sure. So, so we patched all that together on a program that we spent about a year working on called the Let's Build Accelerator. And that is the program I talked about. We launched right after Thanksgiving, and we're now you know, a few months into it and have been overwhelmed by the number of folks who have raised their hand and said, I'd love a chance to talk more about it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's great. And um, being being here and seeing, I guess, the direction where things are going, I think, and things are going in terms of the, the makeup of, like, a city like Baltimore, which has the demographics of being very skewed to people of color, you know, black folks, what have you. And, you know, f having that kind of connection to other entities that are within the city, uh, nonprofit that are, are here to help ultimately um, faith-based in institutions that are generally helping out in a very big and impactful way. Now, oftentimes it's like, you, you only really notice it when it's gone. It's like, oh, wow, that church is no longer here. Oh, what are we going to do? And and seeing that entities are coming together with kind of a goal of like, how does this how does this look better? How do we improve this? What is the better version of what this setup looks like from a housing standpoint, from a community standpoint? No, exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, I think that um, a lot of, you know, there has to be a certain amount of humility there, right? Because because you're at some level you're saying maybe we don't have all the answers, <laughs> even though we're the big the big player in the market. You know we really are the sixth largest nonprofit provider in the country, right. um, and the only one headquartered in Baltimore, and then the largest in Maryland by twofold, and the second largest in DC. And you put all that together, and there's a lot of reason to think we don't need to open our doors. We know what we're doing, but I think to your point, if you really uh, get down to the more basic level of what is it you're trying to do. Um, then you come to the very simple realization that not that really none of us is as smart as all of us. Mm -hmm. So let's let's get more people together and be smarter in how we approach this industry. So, enterprise community development has a, has a presence across uh, Southern PA, Maryland, DC, Virginia. What's unique about the the I guess the different general uh, uh, geographical areas that you're, you're working in, and how do you overcome any like reluctance from communities? Because I, I think there's a lot of times that people will just think, "Oh, change. I don't want that," <laughs> or "Who are these people? I don't want that." So. Like, uh, tell me more about that. We what, what what makes us a little bit different is that we are the scale of a national player, but we don't work nationally. We just work in this region, like you said, right. those those few states. So when you take what a lot of other companies do, with you know, we have we have a little over five hundred employees. You take five hundred employees and our and the folks that are bigger than us sort of spread that across 15, 16, 17 states. When you do that just in this one region, what you do is you really get, I think, a different kind of relationship to sure. neighborhoods and to people. Uh, you're right, though. Not everybody's, you know, welcoming affordable housing into their neighborhoods. And so um, we spend years, you know, we spend years in this region talking about how do we expand opportunities 
into the counties, into Baltimore County. Mm. Four years to develop a project, maybe in Baltimore County. Four years to do a project in in uh, Fairfax County. You know, but but I think what makes us different is that again, because we have this scale, we have this sticking power, right? We have mm. this ability to hang with something a little longer than our peers might, because we we've got the the book, we got the you know billion three in value of our of our portfolio. And we know what's important and we know what's right. So we're going to stick with it. Uh, and we're going to stick with it until we see it through. Yeah, I think um, when, like in the community I'm in, I, I look at different entities that will come in. And I'm using, in part, having this platform and having some of these conversations with folks. It's like, you know stuff. And it's like, let me let me check this. See how far this goes down. And, and being a homeowner, you you want to know really what, what are the plans because you've made this investment here. And I... I like the thing that you touched on, like we're in the community, we have that staying power, we want to be around, this is the lo- a long haul, long game sort of thing, whereas I've seen in, in my community, it'll be entities that come in and want a certain buy-in, they want a certain like influence, and then if they felt like they haven't gotten it or they've run into any impediments, all right, I'm going to see you guys next time. And I like that you you touched on, it's like we have this this scale, but we're focused in these areas that it feels like, oh, you're part of this, you're part of this this community or what have you. And that builds goodwill. Yeah. And I, I like to think it does. And we, you know, we're working when administrations change, you, you sometimes have to start over. You have to tell your story again. You have to hope that goodwill continues. Uh, I think our name means a lot. You know, look, we grew out of Jim Rouse, right? Jim Rouse created Columbia literally from scratch. Um, and he created Inner Harbor among other places. And so those are our roots. I mean, the company I lead is Jim Rouse's development company, and it's an honor to do that. And so there's a lot of goodwill that came from our roots and our history, and we're trying to carry it forward. Love, love to hear that. Love to hear that. Um, hmm. So let me let me see what this next question is because I, I had something that was there, but I feel like it got answered already. So now I'm like, because you're because you're ahead of the curve. You're you're overachiever, Brian. I. <laughs> um. So how how do you see like? maybe the landscape of what, what you're doing currently maybe changing over the next like several years or what have you. And ultimately, what do you believe moves the community forward? And, and maybe you did touch on this a bit, but if, you know, we can hammer that home. But yeah, you know, kind of as I was touching on a little bit earlier, like Baltimore, where I'm based at, you know, we see changes like in the East Baltimore footprint, there is you know, housing of all different scale, like kind of coming up and um, the community is changing even over the last like five years. Um, and I, as I was one of those people that moved back into the community after, you know, living here like 20 years ago, moving back. And it's like, there's been more change in the last five years than the, the previous. So where do you see things kind of moving? Like, where do you see things going from, from your vantage point? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. I think you just hit on one is that, um, Neighborhoods that we're in need are even are even in greater need now, right? The last two years, I think, have have accelerated some um, some negative trends, but they've also put a, a bright light on some things that were there before. Mm-hmm. And so, I think one of the one of the things that's changing is we we've got to just be more honest about the fact that beyond housing, folks need a lot more. You know, <laughs> we need to come in and we need to solve some housing issues, but we have to solve other human issues through housing as well, through community. And so I think the way we approach development and how we think about what it, what development is meant to do has to evolve. That's one change. I think one of the other realizations is that 
we're running out of land to do to you know to do this work and and there's a lot of land in the suburbs there's a lot of lands and neighborhoods that have not traditionally viewed themselves as needing to be open and inclusive to affordable housing um, for lots of reasons but so i think one of the things ahead of us is how to really have human conversations about um about people and about their life potential and how do we open doors in places that have historically not been open in order to to realize that potential um, through housing, through neighborhoods, through um, through letting folks into schools and, and places where they haven't been allowed in the past. And um, I think that's a huge space we're going to have to spend time on going forward. And then finally, I think, like I was saying, we, we've got to be we've got to be more thoughtful about um, the fact that uh, the way we get there is got to be a little different. It can't be the same folks doing the same things. Um, we've got to have different approaches and that sometimes means different partners uh, and different tools in the toolbox in order to get them done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, and, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, so partnership, collaboration, and, and things of that nature, I think are really a part of it and of, of a lot of the work that you're doing out like a lot that it helps out a lot of the work that you're doing. And my understanding is that where your role is at, it's a, it's a partnership between three, three different divisions or what have you. You have, you know, the, um, National nonprofit um, side of things. You have the racial equity side of things, and in building resilience through like upward mobility. So, I want to ask this question about networking because I think it's I think it's interesting. Like everyone has a different approach, right? So, yeah. what is your philosophy on networking and collaboration in that way? Um, and are you are you good at working a room? Are you like you preferred and using like LinkedIn? Tell me about that from from your vantage point, because I, I, I'm stealing from you, just so you know. But I, I want to know what is your philosophy in that area? I struggle with it because I think uh, the technology, like you said, LinkedIn and other tools have made it easier than ever to connect with people to think about, you know, who's in your network. But I think the result is is uh, is a flood you know it's a flood of folks and i think networks don't mean they don't mean what they used to mean you know like facebook changed what it means to be a quote friend you know I mean? right you know i mean all those folks aren't friends uh just like all those <laughs> folks in linkedin aren't really part of my network they, they are virtually i think networking has to you know has to have a human uh, connection in order to matter um and i think that i think that my philosophy on it is it's the difference maker. Mm -hmm. when, when we look at some of the obstacles to why some of our residents in Baltimore City, for example, don't move forward the way some folks in the county do, it's not about it's not about uh, God giving gifts. It's not about opportunities always that you know were afforded to them through their parents and other things. At the end of the day, it comes down in some cases to a really important variable, which is your social network. <laughs> You know, I do a quiz with, with folks all the time. Raise your hand if at some point in your life, one of the jobs you got, an internship, a job, whatever, was the result of someone you knew. And, and invariably, three out of four people raise their hand and say, yeah, somewhere I got along the way was because somebody I knew, knew about the job, knew about the hiring manager or something like that, right? So if you think about that and you ask folks, you know, kind of who's in your network and who has the ability to influence you uh, in your trajectory, 
we find a lot of the folks in the city and others are more isolated, more cut out from networks that have power than ever before. I mean, I think if anything, COVID pushed us into a corner, but even before COVID, our country was moving into much more bubbleization. People are being forced into small bubbles and that bubble is your world. And it's your newsfeed, it's your music, it's your friends, it's, it's your, it's your tweets. It's everything you get is now your own little bubble. And I think some folks don't always acknowledge that that, that can be fun and, and reaffirming of who, of who you want to be. But if, if that bubble doesn't include connections that are going to get you where you want to be in life, you're really cut out. You're cut out more now than I think you and I were coming up. I mean, it's a very scary world. So that social network, I think, really has to be something we think about more. And how do we how do I, and when I think about, you know, the fact that I get, I get requests every day, literally on LinkedIn and I, and I try to honor them, but how do I really take the time to help someone who's, who really needs that, that extra connection to a real network that's going to help them later? Yeah. And, and I find, I agree with that. I, I find that in spending more time on LinkedIn, for example, it's, a different culture there where like connecting, like really like I'm bad at it as well. <laughs> Networking and collaboration. And yeah. I've been answering a lot of questions recently. Oh, how are you so charismatic? You're just a you know extrovert. I was like, no, I am not. Uh, and um, having to, to, in doing this podcast and going through this, this, this journey and connecting dots and connecting people, you have to find alternative ways to do it. And sometimes I'll find that I might connect with someone on LinkedIn that I've already connected with on Instagram and the responses are very different on LinkedIn. It's like people are more inclined to have a conversation and there's less kind of barriers. Cause I think that's the, the other thing that that's sitting there in terms of that kind of siloed bubbled communication that, Oh, you, you like this, you probably like this. Let's just start adding this into your, your feed. And I find more substantive stuff comes out of the LinkedIn conversations because that's the climate of people that are using it. Yeah. And I've had more conversations about um, funding, more conversations about how do you extend the reach of your message and, you know, doing this podcast with not only artists, but people really contributing to the culture of the city and what it will look like. And I think that's ultimately why we're, we're having having this conversation of what are these places going to going to look like and who are the people contributing to what these places are going to look like, because I think those changes really impact those other areas such as culture, such as art. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, you have more, more people in the city, you have more people aware of what's going on in the city. You have more of that exchange of people coming from the County peak tourism, things of that nature, all of these different things. So having less abandons and having more people living in like properties and a stronger sense of community here, it just makes it better. <laughs> you know, I think, I think you're right. I, I think even to your point, um, if, if we could, if you really wanted to get people to think differently, you know, one approach is you talked about folks get, you know, more suggestions on things they like because of something they already like. If we could just create an algorithm that said, you know, once a week, I'm going to send you the opposite, right? I know what you like. Instead of sending you more of what you like, I'm going to send you the 180 opposite yeah. just so you can hear it and consider it. I, I think if we did that. Mm-hmm. I think we might find every now and then there might be an adoption, believe it or not. There might be an adoption of that. Oh, I didn't realize that that's something on the other side that I actually can relate to. And I think if we did more of that and if the folks who, you know, aren't embracing the conversation you just had about how do we make Baltimore better, that don't feel like they're 
that's their conversation. If they got forced to just ask a, you know, or be brought into a small part of that discussion once a month, once a week, yeah. they might say, you know what? I, I do find some similarities in these questions. Let, let me, let me figure out that, how to be a, a part of a different conversation once in a while. I, I think it could be titled things to consider, you know, like exactly. and instead of, Oh, things you might like things to consider. You might, there you yeah. go. Um, so I got a couple more questions before I get into these rapid fire ones, which, like I said, you know, before we got started, everyone is afraid of. Everyone's like, look, man, what did he find? Did he find that weird picture? Did he find a picture when I was in college and <laughs> I had this weird mohawk? Like, what, what were we doing? Uh, so from from your, your spot, when you hear, when you hear president, you, you, I immediately think of like a leader, someone that's like responsible for a, a lot and has a lot of, um, you know, like attention around what they do, what they do. So what would you say one of the more important um, lessons that you've learned as a leader? I got to say, one of the things that really struck me as I look back was I, I never wanted to be a leader for leader's sake. You know, I never I never said I, I, I want to be at the head of the table. So let me go sit there. I, I found that being a leader in the lesson that I learned was just just try to be valuable, try to be helpful, try to be. Um, someone who, who who listens and and gives uh, gives a comment that's that that moves the conversation forward. And I think what I found is that the more I did that, the more I got pushed to the front to say more and to listen more. And mm-hmm. it's it, the two go together. You got to listen before you speak. You know, a lot of leaders think they speak in first and then listen in second. It's it's never that way. It's listen and then say. And uh, I think leadership is something that you know, if you're lucky enough, you 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 earn it. Um, you earn it because because you listened and and you and you helped move things forward. Yeah, some of the the folks that I've listened to because I'm speaking to more executive directors, more founders, and things of that nature, and especially folks that come in and they're taking on something that's existing. I hear more and more people are doing like I'm starting off by doing a listening tour. I need to get a climate of what's happening instead of coming in John Wayne style and it's like I'm switching everything. It's like sure, <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah, Air, leading from arrogance never, uh, never lasts. Never works long term. Yeah, I've, I've found that's another lesson. Um, so this is the the last real question I have, and I call it real because it's like now I'm just going to get weird after this. Uh, so again, stealing, right? Theft. Uh, can you uh, recommend a book that's had an influence on your career, and how has it influenced you? There's a lot of books I think that moved me over my life. Um, I remember even as a child just reading the Dr. Seuss's The Lorax. You know, I'm the Lorax. I speak for the trees. For the yeah. trees have no tongue. Just the whole notion that that there is a part of our society that doesn't have a voice. Sure. Um, but but doesn't because they don't have a voice doesn't mean they don't matter. I mean, I think some of those um, some of those books I discovered as a child and I kept going. You know, I did. Uh, Bois's, you know, souls of black folks and really understood at a different level, that same, that same conversation of the Lorax, that there's a whole nother group that doesn't have someone speaking for them and, and policy and practice just rolls over them. Um, so I, I, th- I think any book in that genre of just uh, opening your eyes to um, realities around um, those who, who you typically don't get to hear from or read from or speak to um, are, are a great genre of, of books. It's great. It's great. I, I've, I mean, I've, I've always talked about it. But I've been on this like 
Robert Greene deep dive on how do you understand people differently? How do you understand yeah. like things? Because you, you've learned different things that it's kind of like it makes sense. Like it was something about the the spoken word versus the written word and how much older it is and how it's embedded in your DNA. And you're just like, yeah, we've been speaking a lot longer than we've been writing. So keep that in mind. And especially applying to what I do here. It's like, I'm not writing. I'm just doing a lot of this. So how do you better relate to people using a tool that has been around, using a method that's been around for a lot longer? I find that to be informative and um, and, and helpful in, in what I'm doing and connecting to Reading something and, and learning something that it's just okay. This is this informs why I'm doing what I'm doing, and this gives me an ex, extra layer. And even this this idea, this through line that I've been kind of playing with of what am I really doing and the work that I'm doing, whether it be podcasts, whether it be in cultural uh, curating, it's trying to uncover things that people either are ill informed about or just simply don't know about, and. Um, you know, kind of tying these things together. It's just like, oh, that's why I'm doing it. That's my vocation. That's my calling. And that's what really drives me and gets me up and keeps me energized and motivated. Well, no, I'm so supportive that you do this. I do think um, it, it does give another another channel for people to access these these ideas, these thoughts that that for whatever reason don't want to pick up the book, right? Yeah. Um, but want to but want to latch on to a different kind of conversation. Well, thank you. So now all of the goodwill that I've established in this conversation is all going out of the window. Uh, so I got a couple of questions for you, some rapid fire questions for you. And you, you know how rapid fire questions work, Brian. Come on. So I'm going to start off with this first one. Um, in three words or less, describe what it takes to be successful. Discipline. Hard work is really, you know, two words. So I, discipline and hard work. I agree. Uh, now it's going to get progressively weirder. Uh, what is one of your nicknames? Doge is going to get progressively weirder. Workaholic. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, a blue double or Tim the Beaver? Oh, come on, man. I'm a, I'm a Duke, <laughs> Duke uh, mid-90s, Christian Leighton, Grand Hill, Bobby Hurley era. You know, we got to go blue doubles. Come on. I know, I know that's dangerous. I know Duke came back 10 points, you know, in under a minute. Uh-huh. It hurts, never goes away, but I got to I got to own I got to own the blues. Okay. I was I was wondering how that one was going to go over. I was like, sorry. Am I keeping it? Am I taking it out? What am I doing? Yeah. Okay, so this is the last one I have for you and again this is um this this is a uh, so do you watch like when you when there's a new show that's coming out have you are you a one episode at a time kind of guy or are you let's binge the whole season let's just wait until everything is out and I'm just going to run through it I'm just going to eat the whole season worse on this I I never have the time to binge and it's a real point of problem in my marriage because we do them one at a time and it usually takes a couple months to get through to get through my my wife left me on season one of ozark i i never got to two or three <laughs> we kept insecure going because that was just once a week that was easy enough but nothing else uh, i've never binged i wish i could that would be a great 
a great a great way to spend a day, right? Yeah, I, I try to set it up that if I like to travel via train, so if I'm like going to DC or something, I was like, all right, so this is 45 minutes. I can get two episodes in, going down, two episodes coming back. All right, suddenly I'm caught up now. I, I try to stack time in that way. Uh, but yeah, it's I my um my, my girlfriend's kid yelled at us. He's an anime guy, and then he started watching I think like Squid Game or something. He's like, come on guys, I haven't watched real people on TV in like three years y'all behind so i gotta catch up yeah my son's the same way and now um they just digest this stuff so fast i I think their brains work faster than ours and (laughs) they can multitask they can watch the show do the dishes and listen to music at the same time it's just uh it's remarkable what these kids are going to accomplish these these uh these like um new new brains i don't know what to say it's like the new iphone it's like oh there's an update oh really wow right right I'm so we're, we're gonna be obsolete soon enough i'm realizing that so yeah so one thank you for being on this podcast and two um i want to invite you to um pretty much plug anything and is there anything that you wanted to key in on these last few minutes that you felt that we didn't really get to um in this this conversation well, look, I mean, I appreciate kind of your point about um, just just trying to have a conversation about things that don't always seem sexy and cool. You know, like how do we how do we make uh, Baltimore a little bit more brighter? Um, so I, I just appreciate that. You know, I appreciate, you know, you looking for the beauty, the art, you know, and all of this that's around us. And so, um, you know, I would just say enterprise is here. We're, we're right next to Holland's Market, a couple blocks over. That's our headquarters. We are um, we are part. I, I hope of the of the of the art that is Baltimore. I hope we're painting a nice you know a nice color and adding a nice uh, spark in life to the city. Uh, one one project, one community, one you know one one supported life at a time. So if you ever want to learn more about us, uh, enterprisecommunitydevelopment.org, uh, enterprisecommunitydevelopment.org. We'll get you to our website and we're always looking for more folks who are wanting to be part of part of our, our journey. So there you have it, folks. Um, I want to thank Brian McLaughlin again for coming onto the podcast from Enterprise Community Development. And I am Rob Lee saying there's um, community development in around Baltimore. Uh, you just got to look for it. Oh,